Hey everyone, I'm Sam Shaheen and you're listening to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. Today, we have the third conversation in our What You're Wearing mini-series. Joining us is Matthew Betcher from Allied Feather and Down. Allied works with some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry. Chances are you have a jacket in your closet using Allied Down. Matthew and I talk about how Down first entered the outdoor industry, which happens to be one of my favorite anecdotes ever. He clarifies some common misconceptions about the fill power rating system. We learn why you should definitely wash your Down apparel, along with some pro tips on how to do so, and a whole lot more. Let's jump right in. So today I'm sitting down with Matthew Betcher from Allied Feather and Down. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm great, thanks. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how that led to your current position at Allied? Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting. My background sort of mimics what I think what we'll be talking about here. I've been an athlete my whole life, an avid skier, and I've used down since um, since I could remember. But um, it was it was always one of those kind of generic ingredients. Um, at some point, I found my way into a successful branding uh, career. Done brand consulting for about 16 years prior to to Allied, and so when when I met the Yaretsky family, um, it it just it felt like a like a really fun um, a really great project, um, something that that I was sort of passionate about. Um, it's it's nice to work for a family owned company. The one thing that stood out to me as I as I met Allied was just how complex down actually is. And, and so that, I, I saw that not only as a, as a challenge to me from a, from a professional uh, level, but really a sort of challenge to me to, to help do what I could to, to, change, um, to change this little part of the industry. Um, it's an incredibly complex product, um, yet super sustainable. Um, so it kind of ticked all of my boxes leading up to, to this through my career, you know, a heavy, uh, outdoor industry advocate. Um, but also, uh, we also reside in the fashion space. So, you know, ticking all of those boxes, creative, outdoor, uh, technical. Um, so yeah, so then, so then here I am selling down to the, uh, the next generation of, of users. Interesting. So um, this just popped in my head while you were you were talking about that. You know, one this little anecdote I keep hearing about down, and I have been guilty of repeating it without really corroborating it. I will say, but um, curious if you could lend any credence to this. So it's my understanding that the first down jacket ever created was created by Klaus Obermeier in like the '30s or '40s. Um, Basically, the anecdote goes, he was like, he had this, he was a ski instructor, I guess, in Aspen, and he had some like super famous, like, you know, Hollywood star type client that day, but it was super cold and he didn't have a jacket that was warm enough. So the night before, he took the down comforter off his bed and like chopped it up on the sewing machine and like fashioned himself a makeshift down jacket. And then his client the next day, who I can't remember who it was, was like really enamored by this jacket and asked him to make him one. And then that's kind of how like it all started. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> that's the, the birth of Obermeyer right there. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, yeah, no, I've heard the story. I've actually heard the story from Klaus himself. We actually work closely with Obermeyer. Um, cool, cool story. Cool guy. I mean, the guy skis like every day in his 90s. He's amazing. Um, but the, the, so the funny thing, right? Like that's, that's sort of targeted as one of the first down jacket. The other one is Eddie Bauer um, around uh, in the, I think it was in the mid thirties. Eddie Bauer is the one that actually has the patent for a quilted down jacket. Um, so okay. they were the first ones to actually patent the, the construction um, that we really rely on now is, you know, for, for our down jackets. Um, but the funny thing in reality, down has been traded as a down and feathers have been traded um, as a commodity for hundreds of years. We actually have a document in our offices from 1600 showing the trade of feathers as an insulation. Um, and you know, the, it, in the past and back then it was used for mostly for, for bedding, but I've seen, I've seen records of uh, down and feather jackets being made for Japanese um, emperors um, way, way, way back. So it's, it's funny. I think over here in North America, we want to believe we're the first, uh, you, know, uh, it, you know, when people ask me what I do, I always tell them I sell the world's oldest insulation to the new consumer. So um, that's, you know, where, where it started, uh, not too sure. But the fact is, is that, you know, it's been around for a, for a long time. And, and, and I think there's a reason for that. Well, I'm, I'm just happy to know that I haven't been like lying to my friends and family telling that story over and over. <laughs> but I, I will say I met Klaus at an SIA OR or whatever a few years back. And it was like definitely the highlight of every SIA I've ever been to. Um, <laughs> right? Klaus, he was like, at the time, I think he was 97. So this was a few years ago. And he was just like the happiest dude I've ever seen in my entire life. Like enormous smile on his face. Um, I we we can all only hope to be like Klaus when we're his age. Like it was such an inspiration. It was it was amazing. Seriously, I had a I I I had a meeting at at Obermeyer. I was giving a little a little bit of a seminar to their product development and marketing teams. And I've done hundreds and hundreds of seminars since since my time at Allied here. Um, hardly, hardly reason to get real nervous. Right. Um, but I, I, I'm in there and, and somebody says, Oh, I think Klaus will join us. And I kind of shook my head and said, <laughs> it, it, excuse me, really? And, and they said, Oh yeah, no, he's in the office every day. As a matter of fact, he's in his office right now. And sure enough, he comes and all of a sudden I got nervous as hell. I live in Los Angeles. I don't get starstruck, but here I am in front of Klaus Olbermeyer, like, like tripping over words and like all of a sudden I don't know what the hell I'm selling. I'm looking at this guy and 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 the funny thing is throughout this whole this whole meeting he was hyper engaged. I mean I was shocked at how yeah, I mean forget the age, right? At times CEOs sort of check out of companies or become figureheads. You know, this guy is like, he wanted to know exactly what his marketing people were doing, exactly what his product development people were doing. It was, it was really, really cool. And actually not dissimilar to here either. You know, the, our founder, he's still in the office every day. You know, you hear it when he comes in. Um, you know, it's all good, man. It's, it's really cool. Uh, yeah, that's a really cool story to hear. I, uh, huge respect for Klaus, definitely. Yeah. 
massive respect. Cool. Well, now we can get back to actually talking about down, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we should dive in with one of one of the questions that I get probably or misconceptions I see most widely about down and that's um, fill power. You know, fill power is largely misunderstood, I think, just universally. Uh, Can you explain a little bit where that confusion lies? Uh, sort of what fill power actually means and how it contributes to the warmth of a garment? Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, so so I think I'll confuse it a little bit more here or hopefully not. Um, but I think I think we need to look at fill power from a couple different angles here. First, like what it is, right? So fill power is nothing more than a measure of volume. So in the U.S. method, which is considered the most consistent uh, methodology used mostly uh, throughout the world, um, that is it's measured in, in cubic inches per 30 grams of down. So basically, fill power is nothing more but the amount of air that given down is able to trap. And that's what's providing its insulation. So really, so fill power, uh, fill power has less to do with the exact warmth of a garment and more to do with the warmth to weight potential of the down clusters themselves. So fill power, what, what fill power does is by measuring the amount of air trapped, what you're looking at, you're looking at the size of the down cluster that's providing that fill power, right? So you're using in 30 grams of down, a bigger down cluster will trap more air. Uh, than a smaller down cluster. And so when you see how fill power is measured, it's measured in a canister and a weight, a slight lid, a, a very light lid is set on top of it and it's just allowed to gently compress, right? So it, it slightly compresses it. And so the, the, the bigger, stronger down clusters will trap more air and, and it will show a greater volume. And that's the fill power. Um, but that's all that it's really showing. It's really showing the amount of air that that down is able to to trap, and and that the size of the cluster is contributing to how much air that 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 down is able to trap. Right. So, so fill power we usually see measured in you know several hundreds, you know quantities of several hundreds. What do those quantities represent? If you were to put a like a unit on you know say eight hundred fill power, what what is that? Right. So, so this is this is where it gets a little bit confusing, um, particularly now, right? Because so that eight hundred, you see eight hundred on a jacket, right? So all of that, all that means is that that down thirty grams of that down will will take up eight hundred cubic inches per that thirty grams. Um, nothing, nothing more than that. So. As we started to look at the warmth and how fill power related to to warmth, apples to apples, just isolating the insulation, the curve is extremely linear. So now you can work at it for a with a couple different different angles here. So you can use half as much 1,000 fill power and get the warmth of a 500 fill power using less material, thus having a more compressible garment, or twice as much as the 500 to achieve the same warmth as a thousand fill power. So. That's why it's a little bit confusing. It doesn't exactly mean that that jacket that has 800 put on the sleeve is any warmer than the jacket that says 700 on the sleeve. 
it's a it's it's a bit of a synergy. All that Phil Power is doing is telling you the potential of the warmth to weight ratio of that down. And and how much you should pay, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, so it's funny, right? This is the question. Is you know, does that mean it's better quality? In the end, no. In the end, down is down. A high quality down is a high quality down, whether it's a small down cluster or a big down cluster. That's the way we look at it now. Back in the day and why they started marketing to fill powers and how fill power became this kind of this kind of marketing, uh, you know, this marketing of quality, the higher the fill power, the warmer that jacket's going to be. That all made sense years and years ago when every down jacket looked the same, right? When everything was made out of the same fabric, when everything was made with effectively the same fill weights, um, the same fabric, the same construction, the big puffer. Yeah, okay, you look at that and you go apples to apples, the 800 is going to be warmer than the 700. Because the 800 has more volume in it, basically, because you put the same weight of down, that it, but it takes up more volume in the jacket. Right, and, and, and so that's the apples to apples old school. That made sense. Nowadays, not so much, right? Now, now, we, have, now we have down being used in lightweight, lightweight sweaters to heavy parkas to my favorite down shorts you know <laughs> no seriously i'm grabbing my down shorts and i'm going off to the coast this weekend surfing i can't wait but um but yeah no it's it, so so now you have all of these different uses you have different designs uh design principles now you have different baffle sizes you have different fabrics being used all of this is really confusing this whole fill power quantification thing, right? So 800 fill power doesn't mean that it's necessarily a warmer or more technical garment. Um, we worked with one of our partners. They had developed a, a, an extremely lightweight kind of layering uh, piece, and their baffles were extremely small. Because they wanted to do a, because they wanted to market this under their technical line, they wanted to use an 800 fill power down. Well, what was happening is the baffles were so small that it was simply choking the 800 fill power down cluster, these big down clusters. So um, they weren't getting any of the, the the benefit of the higher fill power because the baffle was constricting it. Exactly, and so what we were able to do is swap them out with a lower fill power to make actually a better performing, more technical, more durable piece. So everything's sort of turning on its head right now. People are starting to think about down in a different way. Down's incredibly scalable. It's incredibly versatile. You know, it's almost a detriment to the industry that, that down started off in big puffers, right? Um, you know, it, now we're seeing, we're seeing technical brands using using 600 fill power duck down, not for uh, cost savings, but for a more technically precise garment. It's fascinating. Yeah, that is really interesting. And I, I think we can get, we'll get into that a little bit later. So you, you mentioned that if you had 500 fill power garment, you could have achieved the same amount of warmth as a thousand fill power garment if you filled it with twice as much down. In theory, yeah. So like so the inner the inner engineer in me has this other question about you know the thermal mass 
Uh-huh. Because when we have these extremely lightweight jackets, a lot of times they don't actually perform as warm as a similar volume jacket that's a bit heavier. Exactly. Um, so am, am I wrong to assume that if you actually did that experiment and made the exact same jackets with the double the filling in the 500 as the 1000, the 500 would actually be a bit warmer than the 1000 fill power in the end? I, I would suspect you're right. Absolutely. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the things we see in like things like expedition suits. We see a lot of expedition suits using now using a 700 fill power, um, you know, suits that don't necessarily have to uh, be so compressible, um, you know, and, and, and the compressibility comes at a slight cost of durability as well. Um, every time you're compressing it, even as resilient as down is, you run the risk of it of it slightly, uh, you know, of, of, of it slightly breaking into a, additional fiber. Um, you know, so, so we see a lot of exactly what you're talking about. We see a lot of high technical, some of the warmest garments in the world now are being made with a 700 fill power, for example, and just overfilling it. And it's that puzzle, right? It's that puzzle between weight and warmth, right? Like what, what is, I always tell our our partners, you know, when we're when we're working together, we work with product development teams now um, on a very much of a of a design consulting basis and technical consultants, right? So, you know, I always sound like we have to weigh all of these factors. You know, do you are you prioritizing warmth? Are you prioritizing uh, uh, compressibility? Are you prioritizing the look? You know, because a more filled baffle will have a more consistent sort of baffle look. And that's a consideration for some of our more fashion-based uh, partners who might want to be, you know, who might have very luxe brands and want to use the highest fill powers for that reason. But in the end, they actually get a piece that they're happier with, perhaps down, so-called downgrade, using a, a smaller down cluster and, and, and overfilling it. So that's why I sort of look at the whole fill power as marketing thing in a in a slightly different way now fill power is really a good measurement of gives you a good indicator of the type of material you're going to use and now you can decide best to use that or which fill power to it would be best in your particular product sort of like i keep saying it's a it's a matter of the right material for the right for the right design, for the right product, right? Um, it's not just about the highest number wins. It's not, no longer is European goose down de facto the best quality. Yeah, I mean, it seems kind of unfortunate that marketers have equated the fill power with the quality when it seems more like, to draw an analogy to other garments, that the fill power in down is more sort of like almost like the denier weight on a particular fabric. It's not like one is better than the other. It's just one is more suited for certain things than the other. And you don't, you don't see companies using, except for in extreme cases, denier weight is like a marketing tool because, because it's, that's kind of a ridiculous marketing tool. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? That's, that's a, that's a, that's a really great analogy. It's, it's, it's a perfect analogy. And, and I think it comes from this idea that for so long down has been generic. Right. Like I'm guilty of that. When I when I first met met the allied family, like I didn't really know what was in my closet. I had I must have had five down pieces, even though I live in L.A. in my closet. I didn't know what it was. 
um, when I started doing a little bit of homework as I met them, considering considering uh, building a building a program here with them, um, I just thought, what the hell? This is the last material that should have remained generic. You know, I, I look at synthetic industry, and the synthetic industry has decades of ingredient branding behind them and marketing directly against down. Um, the down industry hasn't had that. Nobody's been able to really step up and remove down outside of its generic kind of commodity base. And it's, and it's a bit of a travesty. And I think all of that is changing now as we see the standards coming out and more brands wanting to, to, uh, to, to talk more about, about their down and, and how it is traceable and sustainable and high performing and all of that. Yeah, that's, it's, it is, it is curious. Um, we see sort of similar things in, in wool where the, the, the type of wool kind of follows the animal rather than, rather than a company producing it. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's a, I, I think that's probably because of, uh, you know, of the animal byproduct nature or, you know, um, I, I know for down, nobody kind of wanted to talk about down. It was, it was really hard getting, getting customers to, when I first started, it was really hard getting, getting partners to allow me to put their name on our website. Um, now it's more regular. I get emails saying, why the hell am I not on your website? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, <laughs> which is, which is great. But, um, but I think it, I think it, a lot of it has to do with that. I think wool faces the same problem. You know, we, you know, it's a, there's a bit of a stigma behind the, uh, the animal, the animal nature of it. But when you really dive into it, uh, there is a lot of, there are a lot of positives that come from that as well. So, in the outdoor industry, we always seem to use down as the gold standard when it comes to warmth to weight ratio and in insulation. How does the physical structure of the down cluster contribute to to that warmth, that high warmth to weight ratio? So this is this is where I, I usually like pull out my microscopic images of the down, but but since we can't, I'll I'll try to like describe what's happening here because it's 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 pretty cool. So like. Down is pretty, it, it, it's amazingly and elegantly simple, right? Like it's just trapping air. That's what makes it so light. Um, the way it does it, when you start to look microscopically at a down cluster, it is fascinating. So the waterfowl down clusters have all of the filaments radiating from a central point, right? And, and down is not feather. It grows on a different part of the bird. It grows on the belly. It has other more hydrophobic feathers covering it. Birds use down the way we use down. Um, and, and, but when you look at each individual, uh, each individual arm of that down cluster, they have tiny little nodes on it that you can see through, through the microscope. And those little nodes act a bit like hooks. Um, and they're irregularly spaced. You're in the duck in the goose down there, there's three here and, and three there, a duck down. It's a little more regularly spaced, but when you're looking at that and you're thinking about, you know, synthetics and, and, and why down's a gold standard and, and, and we still haven't seen a synthetic catch up to the warmth to weight of down, you really start to understand why there's a beautiful, kind of chaos built into that simplicity, allowing that kind of like random connect, uh, collect, uh, connection of all of these, these thousands and thousands of different down clusters that, that provide this insulation. 
so basically they're at at the microscopic level there's all these different fibers essentially that contribute to this cluster taking up volume in other words yeah yeah one cluster hooks into another cluster and they just start to they attach themselves to each other um and and that's creating those pockets of those pockets of air so we've touched on this a little bit um or you just touched on this in your answer but how does goose down compare to duck down compared to down from other animals so down only grows on waterfowl so it's only goose and duck okay basically so you know the the joke around here is is chicken chickens got no down um and uh you know we also say eat more duck but that's besides the point um <laughs> that, that that's market stability thing. um so that the differences between duck and goose, again, it kind of goes back into that conversation that we, we had about silk power, where a lot, of, a lot of the supposed differences lie in traditional supply chain, traditional sourcing, the way, the way that the down supply chain looked um, 30 years ago is much different than it looks today, particularly with, with people like us. Um, the, down net, the down supply chain back then was the network of brokers and, and, and material was aggregated from, from many different regions. These brokers would aggregate this material and these brokers would sell it to people um, down suppliers or mostly betting companies, to be honest, back then that would, that would clean the down, put the down into, the, into comforters and then sell, other, sell the material to growing outdoor brands. Like that, that was kind of the plan 30 years ago. Um, our, our founder look, it kind of came from that industry and realized that there was a better way of doing things, that, that, that he could go beyond those brokers and establish relationships with the farms. So before that, there were no relationships with the farms. And through this aggregation, um, there, everything was kind of, um, everything was kind of, uh, was kind of a median at that point, right? So when you look at different regions and different species, a duck is, is, is a smaller animal than a goose. A goose grows bigger down clusters because of that. So traditionally, yeah, sure, you can say goose down is going to be warmer than duck down. It's got a bigger cluster in general, right? Same for Europe versus China. Um, in China, the birds are, are consumed at a much, much younger age because of their preference for, for the for that type of meat, um, where in Europe they they actually prefer a, a slightly gamier meat, so the birds are a bit older um, before they go to to the slaughterhouse. At which point we collect the material off the floors of the slaughterhouses, basically to be very sort of blunt about it. Um, and and so at, at the age of those age the age of the birds in China is extremely young. It's it's probably four to six weeks younger than uh, than a bird in, in Europe. So so what we see is we see in general, speaking very generally, okay, European down, it's going to be bigger than Chinese down. Um, goose, bigger than, than duck. But now when you start to, like a company like ours, when we start developing relationship with farms, developing our own global supply chain, outside of a broker network, now we're sourcing from all over. Now we have, now we have reliable sources for 800 fill power duck down from China. 
right? So now all of a sudden, these parameters or these, these old marketing concepts start to disappear. Um, Europe's a slightly colder environment. The birds are bigger. So that is where you're going to get your biggest potential down from. But, um, but in theory, those differences are, are very, very small. Going back to the difference between a duck and goose down, there are slight differences in the fat and oil content of the down. Um, there are differences in those barbs. There's slightly there's slight difference in the way that that cluster is shaped. So a goose cluster, for example, will be a slightly more um, the, the 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 filaments radiating from the center of a goose cluster will be slightly longer than a than a down cluster, which is a little more compact. Um, what that lends itself to is is the goose being a slightly better option for a garment that wants more compressibility to it. Um, but sometimes that duck down being a slightly uh, tighter tighter down cluster is a better choice for for small baffles, for example. Okay, so if we had identical jackets made out of identical fill powers of duck, one was duck and one was goose down the main difference the consumer might be able to see would be that, the, be that the duck is slightly less compressible? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the consumer wouldn't know. Okay. I mean, it's that it's really that nominal and it and it really is it's really a matter of it's really a matter of 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 the poles, right? Of like of like the extremes, you know, when somebody wants an extremely lightweight down and and extreme and warm a uh, compressible piece that can fit into the pocket to fit into a pocket. Now you're looking at a 900 fill power goose down, um, you know, but, but like a, a 700 fill power goose down versus duck down. I mean, the consumer is really probably not going to notice a big difference. The goose tends to be slightly more durable over many, many years um, because it's a little bit more compressible, but yeah, I mean, it really is is nominal and really does come from that old kind of supply chain marketing, where you know, in general, goose down's bigger. European goose down is the is the standard. Well, you know, maybe not. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, um, but just quickly, can you talk about the main differences between? down and feathers because a lot of times consumers will see on a tag you know 90 percent down 10 percent feathers or whatever yeah. you know yeah i mean and that that has to do with the with the sort of flaw in labeling guidelines um when when that kind of labeled 90 percent 90 10 down right it's it's referring to 90 percent down cluster but that doesn't exactly mean that the extra 10 percent is all feathers right so it's a completely down and feather completely different parts of the animal. Um, part of the part of a quality down, you will find what we call micro feathers, and and these are feathers that are so small you can't even feel their quill. Um, that would be a part of that extra ten percent. So for a ninety ten uh, a ninety ten quality, that just means it's it's a minimum ninety percent down cluster. That other 10% could be feather, it could be down fiber, it could be maybe there's 0.2 or 0.5% landfowl, uh, landfowl in it, um, residue, um, in, that, in that sort of thing. It's, it's, 
it's it's really it it's it's really a misnomer to think about it as ninety percent down and ten percent just feather. So then the difference between the down cluster and the feather, I from what I gather, we talked about you know the place on the animal, the fact the feather has a quill. Are those kind of the 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 main differentiators? Those are the main differentiators. And so when you look at a normal sized goose, for example, uh, a normal sized goose will have about three hundred grams of plumage on it. Um, about 150 grams, about half of that is like the big feathers, the big obvious feathers that ultimately as we get, as we collect the material, that all gets turned around and ground for feed. That's pretty much unusable. Then there's, uh, about 90 grams of, of, uh, of medium sized feathers. And those are the feathers that piss you off on your sofa cushion because <laughs> they sort of poke through, you know? Oh it's yeah. Like, oh yeah. I, I got some of those. <laughs> right. We all, we all do. Those are, those are the medium feathers. Those are the medium sized feathers. And those generally go into like furniture and stuff. Um, and, and maybe used in, in certain bedding and like an internal feather channel pillow, stuff like that. Um, and then, and then that leaves us with only about 60 grams of down and micro feathers. And out of that 60 grams, on average, a goose is only between 30 and 45 grams of actual down. On a duck, it's even less. So you can see, like, you can also see, too, through that why, you know, why this idea of, of raising birds just for down makes zero fiscal sense. Um, there's just not that much material on, on the bird itself. Um, and so, and so as we separate that after we collect the material and as we separate that, we, we then look at that and, and can blend with different sources to achieve the, the specs for our partners. Um, and it's also interesting to know about the blends, about the 90, 10, 80, 20, when you look at that and you go back to fill power, Again, fill power is just a volume. So for a 700 fill power, for example, I've got about three ways I can make that 700 fill power. I can make that with a, with a 90-10, an 85-15, and an 80-20. Um, and where that gets really interesting is, is looking at that um, from a potential technical perspective, right? So in order to achieve the 700 fill power with an 80% down cluster, those clusters have to be bigger. Um, I don't have as much fiber, micro feathers in that material, but I have bigger down clusters. So sometimes, sometimes that's a solution to solve certain problems. Like, um, like in some cases, we'll we'll even lower the cluster percent to solve uh, to solve problems in extreme cases for migration or. Um, you know, or or uh, uh, even compressibility. That'll make a difference in compressibility because now I've got a bigger down cluster. So you talked about the you know relatively small amount of down that a goose or duck actually has on it, and how that would be fiscally irresponsible to just grow or raise geese and duck for the down exclusively. Um, I guess my question would be. In a world where we didn't have down as a commodity at all, would there be fewer geese and ducks slaughtered? No, down's a byproduct of the food industry. So it's actually the other way around. If, if, if people start eating less, 
less duck and geese, then we'll have less down to sell. We'll have less down as an insulation. Um, but not using down doesn't save a bird. Um, that's, a, that's a sort of animal welfare misnomer. Um, you know, what, what I think what's been interesting is how the down industry has been able to change poultry industry practices, um, things like the responsible down standard and, and how, and how that standard has, has changed the way in some cases birds are being raised in some parts of the world. Um, you know, the, the value of down versus the total, uh, the total bird is about two to 5%. So we're talking a very little, little part of that whole bird. So, um, so no, if, if people stopped using, using down, it would just be cheaper. <laughs> no, we wouldn't be saving any birds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Um, let's talk a little bit about durability. Um, mainly can we kind of compare and contrast the durability of down versus synthetics that are, you know, trying to mimic down? Um, and maybe also touch on what people can do to make their down garments last longer. Yeah. So, I mean, durability wise down is also sort of unmatched there. Um, and I think anecdotally you see that a lot, you know, you see people holding on to their down jackets for sometimes decades. Um, down's an extremely durable material down the, the, the down cluster itself is actually a protein. It's very much like the protein that our hair is made up of. Um, and, and so it's, it's, you know, like our hair, it's extremely resilient. It can take a beating um, and doesn't get destroyed. A lot of the synthetics that are mimicking down, because we've worked with them as well, um, a lot of issues there um, you know, we, it, they, they don't last as long, um, from season to season and they tend to, they tend to, uh, not wash nearly as well. And that's a critical part of not just keeping your, your down garment healthy and, you know, lasting long, but I would argue overall hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I was actually going to talk about washing, further you know, a little later, but we can we should talk about it now. I feel like there's this big misconception in the industry, and we actually published an article on Blister a while ago now um, about the benefits of washing your gear, but I always like to bring guests onto the podcast to just like prove to our readers that I'm not the crazy one here um, <laughs> and that washing your gear actually is good, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. It's like, I think, you know, I, I get I get this all the time, as you can imagine, you know, it's like, my reaction to when people come up to me and say, should I wash my down? Gear? It's like to take one giant step back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, that's gross, man. Like, that's gross. I know now that you have an entire closet full of down stuff that's just gross and old and moldy and disgusting um no i mean down again like think about when you think about it like hair right like again the composition of the down is a beta keratin 
um, pretty much like our hair, right? So what happens when you don't wash your hair? It goes flat, right? It gets, it goes super flat, gets oily, gets greasy. Um, the difference with down is that it's trapped within a barrier with downproof fabric that tends to be less breathable. And so it grows mold super fast. Um, and that's disgusting. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the down, the down again, like our hair, it likes to be washed. It looks fresh. It freshens up. You know, it's like, we have the, we have the issue too. in like manufacturing and, and, um, and humid parts of the world where a lot of people are moving to now. Um, we've actually just opened up a facility in Vietnam that we're calling a refreshing facility because we now refuse to ship our material to certain big manufacturers in certain parts of the world too early because we know it's just sitting there in a humid environment and it's going to be losing locked and just ultimately get shoved like that into a jacket. Um, and so what we'll do, we, we're, we warehouse it in, in a place like Vietnam, and then we refresh it, which basically just means putting it through a quick steam and, and a quick steam and dry and, and then send it out refreshed. Um, I actually, I actually tell people my, I, I like telling people about my pro tip, I call it. Um, whenever I buy or get a new down jacket, I immediately wash it. I, it's like that down has been through so much through manufacturing. It's being squished, compressed, folded, packaged, and then it goes onto a rack. It's not the best for the down. I take it home, throw it into a, into a washing machine without soap, dry it really well, and you would be shocked at how different it looks. Wow, really? So, so you don't use any downwash or anything at all? You just, you just basically rinse it and dry it super well? In that case, in the case of yeah. a new jacket, yeah, yeah. in the case of a new jacket, you don't need you don't need detergent. Just throw it into a throw it into a into a washer with just put a rinse on it and throw it into a dryer. And it, it it's shocking. It's shocking. I don't know if you wash your down if you have down pillows or you wash them either. But like, oh my god, they go from they go from four inches to eight inches like that. It's insane. So. I, you know, we're big proponents of washing down um, for many, many reasons. None of, you know, nobody likes to stink being one of them. Fascinating. I, I've, I've got a bunch of like relatively new down pieces recently. And now I'm wondering if I should go throw them in the wash. Do, it, do, do, do an experiment and get back to me. Throw one in the wash and see what you think. Oh, I'm so scared. I really like this. I like one of these jackets a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I even know that it's going to be okay, but still all that, all that fear instilled in me for you know years what? and years. <laughs> down, down is resilient. Down is resilient. It can take the only thing that's going to destroy the down. If you wash it is using, using a harsh detergent because it strips the material, it strips the fat and oil. And that's, what's keeping the down really beautifully resilient and lofty and compressible and then lost back out again. Um, that's why we, we're actually launching our, uh, a down wash ourselves that we developed with, uh, with the same company we worked with for years um, that produces our, uh, our detergent when we process the material. So now we've made a, basically we made a home version of it um, removed all the palm oil from, from, from it. Um, dirty little secret of the, of the laundry detergent world is it's full of palm de derivatives. Um, 
so yeah, so we we did that. That's that's really honestly the only thing in a home laundry situation that's going to mess it up. That and not drying it well. You can even dry it on medium heat if you'll destroy the fabrics and the trims before you destroy the down. Okay. Okay. So you got nothing to worry about. Throw it in there with a clean sneaker, some tennis balls when you dry it. I always dry things on low because I'm worried about the nylon fabrics and all of that. Dry it on low for 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 you know probably two cycles when it feels dry dry it again the most important thing what about top loaders with agitators top loaders with agitators again it's fine you know you're going to use more water i mean i think environmentally i kind of cringe a little bit at the idea of washing one or two down jackets in a top loader but um but to each their own um but yeah i mean seriously like down is really, really, it's funny. I, I'll say this. Down is both really hard to destroy and really easy to destroy, right? If you, if, if you know that chemically you can destroy the down with like a, a, like a Tide, for example. Most, most home laundry detergents will rip the fat and oils off of that down and it will be brittle. That will destroy the down. That's the really the only thing you don't want to do it can take heat it can take you know it just needs to dry if it doesn't dry you're going to end up with it growing mold and and to be honest like you know we look at things like hydrophobic treatments and all of that and and to be honest what we have found is is the number one cause of the loss of loft is not is not like water per se it's mold and bacteria growth for products used in wet, humid environments over extended periods of time. It's not the water killing the down, it's the moisture that's causing mold to grow on that down. Well, it wasn't me saying it this time, Gear 30 listeners. <laughs> it was Matthew, and he knows what he's talking about. Don't stink. So don't if you're be not going to listen to me, at least listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't be that person in camp that you can smell from another tent. But this is a good segue into the next question I want to ask, which is about down interacting with water. You know, one of the one of the bad reputations down has in the outdoor industry is that it it loses loft when wet. Um, can we talk a little bit about about that and what can be done or what is being done um, to alleviate those issues? Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I think. I think a little bit of this comes from comes from the synthetic industry marketing against down for years and years without down being able to sort of like, you know, stand up for itself, unfortunately, um, because down already has down has more of a hydrophilic properties than it does hydrophobic, um, more like wool. Um, but it does have a bit of hydrophobicity already inherent as the down itself. Um, and I think you have to sort of look at look at what you're really, you really want to guard against. Fully submerged, will down lose its loft? Yeah, absolutely. In real world, world scenarios, like I said, what we started to find is that down is losing its loft just as much in, in terms of mold growth than it is in it, it just moisture. Um, but there are always those situations where you do want added hydrophobicity to that material, right? Um, that's exactly why you know hydrophobic treatments were were developed. We 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 started developing hydrophobic treatments um, years ago with with a couple of our partners um, and came to market with that. And it was funny; everybody wanted it. Um, 
it's not it's now it's now it's a little more precisely used which is which is nice but um but again it's sort of like if you need to rely on 1000 minutes of your down being dry under full submersion you know you kind of have bigger problems yeah like you're not having fun in whatever you're doing <laughs> yeah you're probably not worried about the down it becomes a body recovery situation then. yeah that sounds like uh yeah you need to have planned better adventures <laughs> right but no but 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 seriously we we have been like we've been you know we've been at the forefront of, of a lot of these types of treatments and and uh what what it what was really interesting is is looking at studies of uh hydrophobic treatments and how they relate to mold and bacteria. Um, and I think, I think again, a lot of people just assume that if it has a hydrophobic treatment on it, then it's going to be less susceptible to something like mold and bacteria um, because the water's running right off of it. But, you know, we have found evidence that it's kind of the opposite, that some of the hydrophobic treatments are actually increasing mold and bacteria growth. Interesting. So, yeah, and so one of the things that's kind of like one of our next big, big pushes that we're looking at is how do we solve that problem? And, and you know, I guess it's a little exclusive for your Gear 30 listeners. We're, uh, we've, we're, we've, we've figured it out and, and we'll be launching with, uh, with a couple partners here um, uh, coming up for Fall 20. It's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool product. So well, that, that that's really interesting. We look forward to, to checking out that product, and we'll we'll definitely have to uh, see see what's coming down the pipeline and get out and test test some of that product and some more long term yeah. stuff. But we we briefly touched on this earlier. But Down has kind of a nasty history of unethical supply chain issues. Yeah, can you talk about what Allied and the outdoor industry as a whole is doing to help eliminate the animal cruelty? that has been kind of systemic in these supply chains in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, for sure, as an animal byproduct, we, we face some challenges, right? I mean, I think every, every animal-based supply chain does. Um, you know, it, it's, it really is, this, this kind of hits at the heart, you know, the heart and soul of, of the allied brand ethos, and that's like complete traceability and transparency. Um, we will not... Uh, buy material unless we know the entire downstream supply chain, even from a raising farm, right? Like if I can, if I know where those, where those eggs were laid, I want to know that. I want to see those birds. I want, I want to know as much about the entire supply chain um, as possible. We, we've, for 30 years, we've been vetting our supply chain. We've never sold material that has come from live birds. Um, it's just something that, that, that we knew early on was something that we wanted to completely steer clear from. Um, there, there are a couple of issues that, that we sort of face. One is the live plucking. One is, one is the, the foie gras industry. And, and it's a bit of a challenge, uh, particularly the foie gras, because, you know, I mean, some would argue that it's part of a cultural heritage in some parts of the world, um, which for us, you know, it's kind of like, I don't agree with it, you know, we won't source it um, at all, which is why we source very little duck from Europe because ducks in Europe tend to be both, uh, both um, force fed, um, but they're also, they also tend to be 
a particular species of, of duck, which doesn't do well in captivity. Um, and so for those reasons, we source very, very little um, from duck supply chains in, in Europe. We'll, we'll, we source more of our goose in Europe because again, the white goose, some of the white goose in, in certain parts of China we are uh, are susceptible to to live plucking and and you know I, the the an, animal welfare activists or I should say I should say vegan activists because um, I have really good relationships with animal welfare groups and and trying to establish you know industry best practices but vegan activists will make you think that all down is susceptible to this like practice of live plucking and it's it's fucking barbaric and it's disgusting and i hope to never physically see this um but it's it is something that that exists that said it's this very small it's a, it's a small percent of a small percent of the overall supply chain and 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 what i mean by that is it, it only happens within white geese and only at mother goose farms so these are birds that are raised on farms for three, four, sometimes five or six years, and their sole purpose is to to lay the eggs. When they're done, when they're when they finish laying their eggs, when they there's a there's only a, a certain span at which they can lay those eggs, then they enter the food supply chain. Um, but for those years at that at that parent farm, there's the uh, the potential for them to be to be for the down to be harvested. And it's 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 funny because it comes from it, it actually comes from a animal welfare practice right so down how it grows where it grows grows much it's much like a undercoat of a dog and some dogs need that undercoat combed out it's good for the dog it's good for the for their coat um and it's not dissimilar to these geese in captivity that it's actually was it's actually a bit beneficial for this for this down to be gently combed out. However, what that led to was this horrific practice, this horrific practice of basically ripping everything out of the belly of the bird just to get to the down, um, and it's it it it's awful. So that only occurs in these parent farms of a white goose supply chain. So looking at that, you know, if we're sourcing material from parent farms. These are farms that we are personally auditing multiple times a year. Um, we're certifying this to, to multiple standards, so we make sure that third-party auditing bodies are 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 there. Um, so there's a lot you can do when you have access to these farms, when you have the traceability that that Allied does. There's a lot that you can do, just basically sourcing around it. Um, for us, that's also kind of not enough, which is why. We we worked closely with uh, with the North Face years ago to help to help pilot and develop the responsible down standard um, and gift that to the industry, um, knowing that you know all of our competitors are going to have access to it. Um, but it's something that that we're really that we're really proud of, and and I think for me personally, you know, the last time I visited a farm with a with a partner brand of ours, we actually got to meet the farmers, which is really unique. Um, it's something that even four years ago would never have happened. They would have been away. Uh, you know, they would have thought we were there doing an audit. They don't want to be in trouble. Um, you know, and, and 
I got to meet the farmers and, and we're able to talk to them a, a bit um, and really kind of talk to them about how the standard, how certifying their farms has been, you know, how, is this, is this a burden on you? And, and, and they actually said that they were, it they actually said that they, that they found that they were now able to sell the meat for more money. They were able to actually market the animal welfare positive, something that they would have never considered doing prior to, to, uh, to the responsible dance down standard or us coming in and, and, and making small changes on their farm and certifying it for them. So that, that was, that's something that's really, that was really kind of, really kind of great to, to hear. So for, for listeners who may not be familiar, can you kind of talk a little bit about just briefly what the responsible down standard means and what, what they can expect or what they can have expected the, the animals in the supply chain to have been treated with an RTS tag on their garment? Yeah. So the responsible down standard now, I, you know, I just, I, I was just talking to textile exchange and now it, it's, it, it appears to be the largest animal welfare standard in the entire textile industry, which is something that kind of blows my mind. Um, it certifies that the birds have been raised in the most humane way. Um, right. So the obvious practices of live plucking or force feeding are prohibited. That's the, that's the obvious one. But where I think it really starts to excel is is when it starts to look at issues of proximity to water, um, uh, um, the space that a bird has to roam, um, all of these other secondary but just as important animal welfare issues. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you know, we're changing slaughtering processes. This is a really, really, really old supply chain. This is an this down has been around for hundreds of years. Some of these farms have been, you know, are ra- the same families have lived on that farm for generation after generation after generation. There's a there's a cultural heritage component to these farms that we don't really understand in North America here, right? Like we we think of poultry farming, we think of we think of the the overcrowded chicken farms and. While that does exist here and there, it's the farms or are, are even the industrial farms in, in China are far more folkloric. It's it's really it's really interesting to see an actual duck or goose farm. Um, there, it, it's nothing what what I expected to see. I kind of went in expecting the worst and and was totally blown away. Um, but yeah, but but the RDS. So what the RDS you can expect from the RDS is that is that that down has been procured from farms that are engaged in best practices of animal welfare. Okay. And also, I'm going to definitely start using the word folkloric more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I have probably made up no less than six words while we spoke, and I've noticed one F-bomb, so (laughs) I apologize. It's okay. Most of our audience are adults, probably. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought if I kept it under six, I'm, 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 I'm good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if, if if it starts to get real a, a real big problem, I'll, I'll have to ask you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, when it comes to actually making a garment with down insulation, I think you actually used this word earlier. Uh, we use various so-called downproof fabrics. Um, can you explain a bit what makes a fabric downproof? Like why these fabrics are needed? 
um, kind of the general the general concept there. Yeah. So you know the one the one funny thing about down is that it has these you know when when these down clusters break off into fiber, the little fibers have a tendency to find to be able to wiggle their way through the smallest weave you can imagine. So. Fabrics are created to be downproof, whether it's whether it's through a super super tight weave or or a calendaring process, um, which basically just makes it impervious to the down penetrating the the weave of the fabric. Because what happens is once that down in, you know, w- when you see a little bit of down coming through your jacket, and we all do. And listen, even I'm guilty of like taking it and pulling it out, which is the worst thing you can do. What you should do is try to massage it back in because once you pull it out, you create a you create a hole and ever you'll see down coming out of that hole. Um, but I, I know we never do that. I don't do it for Christ's sake. <laughs> um, but yeah, but the you know, it, it's so. So the fabrics, the fabric has to be has to be treated specially to to keep the down from migrating migrating through so when people talk when the synthetic industry talks about like breathability and how down isn't breathable it's a bit of a misnomer it's a bit of misinformation down's absolutely breathable it's incredibly breathable it's actually hydrophilic like a wool is so it could potentially even create a uh, a thermal regulating environment the problem is the, the current fabrics being used are not um, though those tend to those tend to not be as uh, breathable as uh, you know the, the current fabrics tend to not be as breathable as uh, you know as the material inside so you know the breathability issue for down is not so much the down itself it's the it's the current state of fabrics but Knowing where fabric, where textiles and fabrics are going, I think it's only a matter of time before before breathability becomes uh, possible in downproof fabrics. Yeah, and that's kind of my follow up question. You know, um, is there a fabric on the horizon? Is there something that's happening that is going to allow us to get a bit more breathability out of a down down piece? We'll see. I mean, I, I think, like I said, I think it's just a matter of time um, before that happens, and and you know, I. Again, this is such an old industry. You know, it's it's everything's happening so fast, and and I think it's exciting as hell. But um, you know, things like you know, Allied here, we're we're working closer with some of the textile mills, um, and it's kind of the first time that that you know, downproof fabrics have been developed by textile mills. Down's being processed over here. Nobody's talk has been talking to each other, and I think now that we're starting to develop those relationships and develop unique kind of cohesive synergistic uh synergistic products that that i think you'll see you'll see more innovation happening um faster coming up on in in things like that breathability um uh, stretchability um and downproof uh and down garments that type of okay yeah i mean we're all we're all really excited about it i i especially breathability and and, and stretch and i know there are a few a few stretch down jackets out on the market right now. Um, they all come in a bit a bit heavier than sort of the high performance other options. But it seems like the next. I mean, maybe I'm overstepping saying this, but it does seem like the next big thing in the outdoor world is going to be 
figuring out how to make down breathable. We've, we've dialed in a lot of other stuff pretty damn well, you know? But even to that degree, a lot of the fabrics now are still much better than they were in the past, right? Like, oh, sure. it's, funny. it's funny. I was on a, was on a trip um, with some media. Um, we were skiing in Japan. It was a bit cold. And in the morning, I'm putting on my kit, which involves a, a long sleeve base layer, just a simple little base layer um, and a lightweight down jacket and a shell. And they looked at me like I was crazy because we were in the backcountry. We were going to go skin. They're like, you're wearing down. I'm like, yeah, I love I love my down, my down layer. And that's not just because I work for down. <laughs> you know, I work in the down industry. And and it's funny. They were like, well, isn't it like how do you it's not breathable or, or anything later in that day later later in that day we were back at the resort we were on a lift going up and you could just see you could just see the the steam coming off of my body and and uh nobody could believe it how breathable it actually was um you could physically see it and what uh, jacket it, were you wearing <laughs> <laughs> i know right it was I mean, hey, a little plug for a partner brand. It was a brilliant outdoor research thin, you know, a you know, a thin, uh, a lightweight down outdoor research piece. Um, it was, but it was just your normal, super lightweight. I mean, they use spectacular ingredients uh, throughout, but you know, I mean, again, it's kind of like it's it's really more breathable than 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 a lot of people think. Um, it can be a little bit too warm if you're wearing the wrong weight of piece. But um, but it was funny. By the end of the trip, I think I had half the media skiing and down pieces. They all loved it. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I won. Wow. Well, I, I might have to go talk to OR about getting one of those jackets. <laughs> <laughs> so um, speaking of partner brands, how many companies is Allied currently working with? That's a tough question. I, I think I probably sound like a bit of an asshole if I say we we probably either naming brands we don't work with. Um, we can do that too. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, really, we're, we we work with a lot of the most of the best uh, outdoor technical technical brands. We're we're really we're really lucky in that respect. Um, you know, we have some great partners. We uh, we actually just uh, you know just announced our. 100th partner brand partner that uses our our uh, track my down program which is our little like education traceability tool so you see a, a a partner an allied partner jacket it comes with a little lot number that you can go to trackmydown.com and actually look and and, and see what kind of down is inside that jacket um you can see all of the specs it gives a complete content analysis um actual verified fill power uh, all sorts of all sorts of cool information for it. So signing, you know, we have a hundred brands that are just using that tool alone. So we we work with a lot. Yeah, which is a really cool tool, by the way. Um, to to anyone out there who has a jacket filled with Ally, which is probably most of you, definitely suggest checking out trackmydown.com. Let's finish out with a, I think, a good finishing question. Uh, we've touched on this a little bit, but where do you see down going in the future? What's the future? What's the future of this of this product? You know, it's it's funny. That's a question. I love that question. It's that's a cool question because it it's kind of mimics a lot of what I've been talking about 
you know, to to brand partners, um, to some other media. Um, and for me, it's this principle of Occam's razor, right? And Occam's razor is that principle that sometimes the, the best solution is the simplest one. Um, you know, I can't tell you the amount of phone calls uh, or emails I get from brand partners looking for more sustainable solutions or products or stories or, or you know, if I have to sit through a sit through another presentation on, you know, the amount of work, energy, resources that went into developing yet a, a slightly more sustainable synthetic, petroleum-based synthetic, I am going to, like, literally, I'm going to shoot myself. <laughs> you know, that, that yeah. I think, honestly, so I think in a lot of ways, the future of down is, is almost tied to the future of the outdoor industry taking a really long look at some of these things that have been right in front of them the whole time, wool, down, understanding that these, these, a lot of these ingredients, down especially, has a fraction of the carbon footprint that any synthetic alternative has, right? So, you know, you have, you have vegan, vegan activists kind of coming after down um, from one angle saying, yeah, but you should use synthetics. But when you look at you know, when you look at the best, best insulation, sort of like, you know, down is kind of the best on and for the planet. So I think the future of down will kind of like be the sort of moment where the outdoor industry kind of like takes a step back and, and says, hey, maybe we have been barking up the wrong tree a little bit. You know, maybe we need to rethink some of those simplest, elegant solutions. It's right here performing, scalable, versatile, durable, you know, it sort of ticks all the boxes. Well, and it sounds like too that a lot of a lot of that change will be born out of marketing content from the suppliers and from you like with, with, without there being, you know, these proprietary downs like we talked about early in the podcast you guys are kind of now the, the 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 voice for this and i guess you 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 sort of have the floor when it comes to convincing the industry that synthetics are not maybe the best thing yeah i mean i think there's a time and place for everything you know and and but i don't think that you know i don't think that it's as easy to of a solution to just say like you know we need another innovation to be more sustainable you know i think I think sometimes, you know, I mean, forget down, right? This is kind of a big picture conversation here, you know? Like, I think a lot of times we go through life looking for, like, you know, technology and innovation that's going to solve a problem that we already have a solution for. Um, I mean, like, think about, think about 1,000, 2,000 years ago. Sustainability wasn't a thing because it was all sustainable. Yeah, exactly. 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 You know, and you look at, you know, like the animal welfare thing is kind of like a similar thing in, in part of our supply chain is, you know, a good half of our half of our material comes from a collector based supply chain. These are these are families growing, you know, raising a couple birds to feed their families. And I'm, I'm sitting here with auditors talking to a farmer with three birds in their backyard and they're being asked about live plucking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the farmer looks at them with a blank face and says, but that would hurt hurt the bird. And if I hurt the bird, my family doesn't eat. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that was just kind of this moment where it was like, whoa, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think things like sustainability, you know, 
is 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 very similar. You know, I think there there are there are some exciting innovations on the horizon. Um, you know, using using some of the properties of that are inherent in in the down itself um, that we're working on. But um, but really, um, but really, I think that you know the future of down is kind of the future of sustainability. Well, thank you, Matthew, for sitting down and talking with me. Uh, this was a fascinating conversation and uh, look forward to, uh, to seeing what Allied has coming down the pipeline in the future. Cool. Thanks a lot, Sam. That's it for this episode of Gear 30. Thanks to Matthew for the conversation, Luke Alley for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. If you're interested in hearing parts one and two of this miniseries, check out episodes 57 and 62, where we talk about synthetics and wool, respectively. Also, if you're enjoying these Gear 30 episodes, please spread the word to your gearhead friends. Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you again next week.